Hello, everybody. Welcome to an episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast, where we doing a movie decided by the roll of a die, and the die roll this time was an independent movie. And Reber Clark, who's going to be guest hosting with me, had to pick an independent movie, and he picked the whole wide world. Reber, how you doing today, sir? Doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks. COVID-free and vaccinated. So there you go. <laughs> what can you say? I mean, those are those are two good things to have nowadays. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and and Reber, I want to say thank you again. You've been lending me some of your music that we've been using for the James Whale retrospective series. And I own numerous of your CDs. Your music is just, oh, thank you. you're welcome. It, it's really great. I consider you, in my opinion, the John Williams of independent movies. <laughs> well, I wish, I wish somebody would pay me for it. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, I can only hope. <laughs> there's always one day when you get the big payday. Right, right. I wish. We'll see. I don't know where that day is, but uh, hope for it. <laughs> well, as long as you're enjoying doing what you're doing and having fun with it, I think you're you're in a win-win situation. I think you're right. I think that's the whole point. That's the whole point of uh, walking around on the planet. Oh, I agree. And um, listeners, at the end of the episode, we'll be talking about a contest that you can enter to win two, yes, two autographed CDs from Reber Clark, House of the Gorgon soundtrack, and Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls soundtrack that I got, I got from yeah. Reber. So we'll be talking about a contest at the end of the episode. And if you're missing out on Reber's music, you can get those. And Reber... Where else could they find your music if they lose the contest or just don't want to wait and just decide they want to go buy it now? You can go to Reber Clark, that's R-E-B-E-R-C-L-A-R-K, at bandcamp.com. They have all my stuff. You can listen for free. You can listen to the entire each entire album completely free but uh, before you buy. And you have... So go there. Buy a lot. <laughs> How many albums do you have up there? I know it's it's it's, it's quite a lot. Roughly. Oh, he's doing the math. Twenty. So he's got around twenty. Yeah, maybe twenty. It's uh, from a long time ago. Some of this stuff. So I could look it up real quick. Yes, yeah, so um, it's an eclectic group one, two, of music, three, so it's four, not one, all. Two, nine times four is 30, 37. Looks like thirty-seven. 37 different things. And wow. it's, it's an eclectic group. You have um, soundtracks for racing, soundtracks for gothic oh, horror, yeah. soundtracks for Lovecrafty. I mean, you have, you're all around and over the place for different works that you have done. Yeah, my composition teacher used to always stress to us that versatility was money. And I try to cover as much ground as I can. Uh, there are things I can't really, I don't do well, not like uh, country western. I just can't make the sound, make it sound right. <laughs> well, as so, Clint Eastwood said, but, a man's got to know his limitations. Oh, yeah. My dad used to say, um, once you know your limitations, you're unlimited in what you can do. Ooh. And I always thought that was uh, interesting. That is true. I like that. That's, that's, that's even better. But, Reber, what yeah. you, you've recently just finished a project. Um you want to talk about it? 
because it's coming out real soon for listeners. This episode's coming out January 22nd, and um, Reba and I are recording this just a few days prior to that date. But the following month, you have a new soundtrack coming out for what that's going with a new movie. Yes, it's uh, the movie's entitled Saturnalia. It's a movie by Joshua Kennedy, who did Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls and House of the Gorgon. Um, it's nuts. It's crazy. Uh, a lot of the music is kind of seventies funk, uh, band funk band stuff. The poster really says it all. I think his tagline is "Tale as old as time." Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Boy brings girl. Boy brings girl to life. Oh, shoot, I can't remember it. <laughs> boy brings uh, cave girl to life from outer space, or something like that. Anyway, it's nuts. And there's chase scenes, and it's a little racy in, in some parts. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I had a blast doing it. And so it's going to come out. It's going to premiere at the AMC Theater in. McAllen or Edinburgh, Texas, in uh, February 16th or 29th or something, 19th or 26th. And then the Blu-ray will be available, and so will the soundtrack <clears throat> on CD or download. So, yeah, it's, it's fun. I wish I could show you something from it, but uh, I don't know how to do screen shares and stuff on here. That's okay. We're, I'm only recording the audio, so nobody will be able to see it anyway. But me. oh, okay. So I, I need to stop, like trying to look good. Okay. Well, Reaver, you always look. You don't even have to try. It's just it comes off natural. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. You too. Yeah. Uh, that's it, man. But I, I look. I looked up the poster, and and it's a Mark Maddox designed poster. Oh. So the artwork is excellent. Yeah. Um, it is great, and there's artwork in the movie these little comics uh, that come to life and the a British artist, Robin Granville Evans did those and they're excellent as well. Awesome. And the tagline is, and Reber got, Reber came pretty darn close from going from memory. Yeah, Tale as old as time, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy brings to life cartoon cave girl from outer space. <laughs> Saturnalia <laughs> coming soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've liked all of Josh's work. I've liked I've loved I like your work also. I mean, really, it's it's how you two got together was a great combination, which we talked about back in your interview way back, I believe, in episode 15. This is going to be episode yeah, 80. So we're talking a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago yeah it was just serendipity uh and we seem to work well together I, I like doing it he seems to be happy with with my stuff and i'm i i hope we just keep going there are several projects lined up ready to go um i think derek introduced us if i'm not mistaken derek um derek cock derek cook. m cook of monster yeah, kid radio that's right. That's right. Now, I don't know if uh, Saturnalia is going to be at Monster Bash this year. I think it's kind of a different movie, so I'm not sure Josh is going to take it to Monster Bash. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do with it. All I know is, yeah. is I want to get the Blu-ray of it and the CD, your CD, and then I'll have, because I like physical media. Though I do like when, with you, yeah, a lot of people do. with you though, it's nice. If you, if I, if I remember correctly, 
if you purchase the CD, you also get the digital download. So you get both with the with the CD. Absolutely, digital downloads included. Although you can buy it separately if you want to. If you don't want a CD, you can just buy the download. But yeah, if you buy the CD, you get the download for nothing. So it's a pretty good deal, I think. Well, I try to price them fairly too. But a lot of people do like uh, hard media. They like uh, tactile, you know, an object. So that's why when I think the project is really worth it, I'll produce a CD. I've only, this will be my fourth one, I think, out of all those 37 projects. So, yeah. I will say, listeners, it's very hard for him to autograph a digital download. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I'm, when I, I wasn't sure if you wanted me to rewrap those downloads, you know, in the plastic or what. So, so this time I just signed them, you know, and sent them to you. Oh, I think it's fine. I don't think you need to rewrap it. You know, it, I figured you had to open up the package to wrap it. And I think listeners know that, hey, it, it was opened by you. <laughs> That's important, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, physical media is definitely a, a thing. It's, I like I like physical media, but there are some things that are just kind of you know just download will be fine. I, I love physical yeah. media, and I really love it when I can get a Blu-ray or DVD that comes with the digital download because then you got the best of both worlds, and that's why I think I like right. the CD. Yeah, me too. So I have I have it where it's portable, and I have it at home. So that way, if something happens with right. the very services, you still have your copy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They've got it figured out pretty well. I like it. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. And again, I'm looking forward to Saturnalia that's coming out next oh, month. Good. I mean, you know, <laughs> listeners, when you're hearing this, it's like, a, all you gotta do is wait a month. A lot of us have been waiting a long time to see the next Joshua Kennedy flick. And it's, well, that's soon. the thing like cowgirls versus pterodactyls. Um, you know, COVID screwed a ton of things up. And this is kind of the tail end of his COVID project, Saturnalia. He's got another one called Mantopus, but uh, I don't know much about that one. We came up with a main theme, I think, but uh, he's still working on that one. That's a real labor of love. But I think Saturnalia is the tail end of the uh, lockdown movies. (laughs) That's what you want to call them. Um, So, yeah, putting it together was a real challenge, you know, getting actors and actresses and locations doing all of our stuff as long distance of course so yeah it's interesting i think we i'm just, working on a project yeah go ahead i was gonna say i think josh i think we just gave josh an idea for um, a box set the lockdown trilogy <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> but you're but, saying you're working, yeah, on, working what on a project uh for uh, some guys in los angeles the hp lovecraft historical society they do dark adventure radio theater and I'm working on a project with them, and it's all. And they're using a name actor who I can't name because it's top secret right now. But they had to go through uh, Screen Actors Guild and all of this stuff. And it's all most of it is being done. If I'm correct, it's being done uh, online. It's being done like this. So, uh, and they're coordinating. I mean, this a regular dark uh, dark adventure script is usually about 75 to 80 pages. The script is 450 pages, and uh, it's quite it's quite a production. <laughs> so, well, so yeah, with COVID, it makes it just really interesting how all the production stuff works. I think with creative people or anybody, 
as humans, we're always adaptable. So you put you put these barriers up in front, yeah. oh, and everybody yeah. will find ways creatively around these circumstances, and if they keep things flowing. And that's that's what I love is like it's just it's it's a hurdle, but Absolutely. I think I'm the type that's like, okay, how can I get around this? And then you, that's when the creativity starts to flow, and and it might not be as Absolutely. good as it could have been prior. But you got to work out. But then sometimes you find these new things. You're like, hey, why weren't we doing it this way before? We could have saved ourselves a lot of hassle, and you find better ways. And that's what I love about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is no reason not to make something like that stop you. You can always find a way. Andrew Lehman at the uh, HBLHS, the uh, Lovecraft Historical Society, he's always saying that. He's a crafts guy and a, a designer and does all kinds of and an actor as well but uh he always says there's always a way there's just there's always a way to do it so and i think he's right absolutely now yeah. you, you can always find a way. yeah when we rolled the dice or the die to decide which movie you're going to be picking genre wise we rolled independent and you responded right. back to me in messenger very quickly i mean it had to be within i don't know 30 seconds i got the message the whole wide world and from 1996 and uh, what made you choose this, this, this gem? It is right there. Um, uh, I have always had a soft spot for Robert E. Howard and I didn't come to him through Conan. I read the Conan stories, but I, uh, the drugstore in our neighborhood when I was growing up had a great paperback rack and there were these, the first and second book of Robert E. Howard, published by Glenn Lord. And I picked those up and I was sold. And it wasn't really a lot of Conan stories. There were just stories, all kinds of stuff and poetry. And it just blew me away. I've been a fan ever since. I like the Conan stuff, but it's not, he's not just Conan. He's all kinds of stuff. And I've got a couple projects on the back burner. I've got uh, some of his poetry I'd like to do, but I need the right narrators. I need the right readers. And I am not sure I've got them yet. So, um, I don't know, just always a fan. The Blackstone is one of my big stories of his that I like. And uh, I don't know. Um, I don't. I think I forgot your question. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, as to why you chose this movie. Well, why did I pick it? Oh, and I'm always thinking about this project. And it was in the background. And then I saw in my calendar that his birthday was coming up. And it just kind of all, I said, yeah, let's do that. So, you know, let's do the whole wide world. And for listeners, the reason this episode is coming out January 22nd, that is Robert E. Howard's birthday. That's right. And yep. I, I think I think it's it was a good choice, and it was a timely choice because, I mean, I asked you about this like about less than a week, about a week ago maybe, you know, and, uh, and you were just right. like, let's do this. And the date matched up. It was it was very um, like serendipity. Things Everything was aligned. The stars aligned yeah. a certain way to have us do it today yes. <laughs> aligned. that's right that's right yeah a lot of fun and it's one of my favorite movies uh there's one scene that i really dislike but it's just kind of dumb but the rest of it vincent d'onofrio who also helped produce it who also was a producer he's excellent as robert e howard in this and renee zellweger when she was i don't know how popular she was back then, but she was getting into movies. It was before she did Chicago, I think. Um, I think it was before she even did, yeah. um, she even did, um, oh, 
the McGuire movie. Um, oh, uh, show me the money. That one. Yeah, show me the money. I'm no, is it that one? Yeah, it's that one. Jerry, Jerry McGuire. Jerry McGuire. Because I, I, yeah. I believe I read. I think so. That the director of Jerry Maguire didn't think she could play a young woman. She thought of her as a girl, and she sent him this movie, yeah. and that's what helped get her to roll. Well, it's, she does a great job. Everybody does. And uh, Anne Wentworth or Wedgworth or whatever her name is that plays Howard's mother, uh, she's been in tons of stuff, TVs, movies from a long time ago. It's one of those faces that you recognize, but you don't never know her name. Um, yeah, she did it. I thought she did a really good job. And Harsh Fresnel, who plays his dad, he plays a very cold figure that he wasn't aggressively mean or anything. He was just kind of distant. And I thought he did it really well. I thought everybody did a good job. Oh, I think yeah. I think everybody definitely did a good job. And really, it, it comes down to the two lead performers because they are in every scene and, and, and really it's practically. And it's just how the interaction between the two of them when they're together and how they feel right. about each other when they're apart, that moves the movie. And and both of them do a really good job. Can you give yeah. like a Reader's Digest and, version about the synopsis of the movie so listeners that haven't seen it will have a rough idea what goes on? But don't, I mean, you know, actually I don't think there's really any spoilers because it is about Robert E. Howard's life. So I don't think we have any spoilers in this. Uh, not, I don't think so. It is really about, true writer's problems. There's a lot of them. people, especially if you come from a small town and you're motivated to write, uh, how people just don't get it. They just, and he was in Cross Plains, Texas, out in the middle of Texas, and uh, was doing all this stuff, corresponding with people. He was corresponding with H.P. Lovecraft in uh, Rhode Island, and they became good friends that never met. Um, but being a writer, um, and having to have your imagination open and try different things and, and, you know, people just look at you like you're weird. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and, uh, boy, a lot of the same stuff. Not so much there, but in the, I went to school in uh, a small town called Russellville uh, for college at Arkansas Tech University. And, you know, if you weren't making money or you weren't going for a mainstream job, everybody would just kind of look at you like, yeah, but what's your real job, you know? <laughs> so I could, I totally identify with him going through that kind of stuff uh, in this movie. Uh, it starts out with uh, him doing his stuff in Cross Plains, Texas, writing, his mom protecting him so that he can sit there and write, and his dad not understanding. Um, and Novelin Price, who uh, Renee Zellweger plays is this local girl who's interested in writers and in teaching and writing herself and hears of him. And so they eventually meet. And of course the struggles ensue about different opinions about all kinds of stuff and you get their personalities, but they hung in there together. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is he gives her a copy of weird tales with some of his stuff in it. And she says, yeah, fine. And she kind of takes it and goes away. And then later she's sitting in bed and she finishes her journal or whatever she was doing and pulls out this copy of Weird Tales and decides to take a look. And the music, you don't see what's going on, but the music gets into this giant sword fight and the sound the sound effects, you know, big dramatic sword fight and death and love and all kinds of romantic, rapturous stuff, and she has to shut it because it just blows her mind. 
I just love that. And they do that throughout this movie with the music and the sound effects when Robert E. Howard is looking out over the Texas at a Texas sunset. And he really brings the feeling of jungle or wilderness, uh, you know, in what he's saying. Man, it's it's really beautiful. And I didn't remember who did the music. And the, one of the reasons it's so well done, I think, is it was two guys. It was Harry Gregson Williams, which I'm sure he did all the kind of Americana stuff. But when you get into that serious life or death uh, global perspective stuff, it's Hans Zimmer which is, wow, that was a long time ago, 96. Uh, but both guys did a great job. I just love the way the music, and it, the music fits together really well. Uh, so uh, let's see what happens. Okay, so Howard goes, uh, Robert E. Howard goes through some things with his publishers, and it, that's not a big part of it. Uh, it's mainly dealing with being a writer in a, with a big imagination in a small town. Mm-hmm. I think uh, some people credit Hemingway with saying, uh, land of, uh, what is it, broad lawns and narrow minds. And I always thought that was funny. I don't know if Hemingway actually said that, but it's credited to him. Um, And then also his problems, just trying to be a human, he definitely had some problems, and maybe a little bit too close to his mother. (laughs) And it's it's kind of what happens. His mother got sick. She, uh, he would give up everything to take care of her. And one day it just got too much for him and he took his own life. And it's kind of, it's based on novel and Price's book called one who walked alone. Got it right here. Um, and it's all, it's really a, a good read. I li- I actually like the movie better, but uh, the book is, is good to get novel and Price's uh, view of things. And, and for listeners, it, it's going for mostly from Novelin's point of view about how she met Robert E. Howard, yeah. and it takes place with the last few years of his life and how their relationships right. went through, how they came together. And, and and they had this love for each other, but at different times is when they really wanted to maybe get married or whatever, when one wanted to get married, the other one didn't, and vice versa, and and that happens in life where people well, yeah. don't match up with their time frames. And, you know, he wanted freedom. He didn't want to be tied down. He said that I just can't do it. It doesn't work. At one point, uh, she's talking about, well, she'd maybe teach and write. And he says, it just doesn't work that way. You just can't do that. And uh, I think Stephen King was, uh, it would be in agreement because he was, he was going to teach and then so Carrie, I think. And, he said, yeah, you know, writing has to be 100, 100% of the time, whether you make the money or not. That's the point. A lot of the small town thinking, I hate to keep wrapping rap- on small towns because there's nothing wrong with them, really. But people with limited imaginations don't understand that the whole point of life is it's not money. You know, it's uh, going for something bigger than yourself or I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he needed the freedom and what he saw as being locked down in some kind of social convention, just, uh, he wasn't going to do it no matter how much he loved her, you know, uh, novel. He tried, (laughs) he got this, uh, he took this picture. She wanted a picture of him in a suit and a hat. Oh, you, this isn't video, but that's him. That's a real picture. 
but there's one in the in the movie too where he he, he gave up and gave in a little bit and put on the hat and the suit and got a picture made. And she liked that. Oh yeah, I, so it's I, just you know when I saw writer's life. When I saw him give her the picture for a Christmas present, I was like, oh, that's the picture that we always see of Robert E. Howard. When you like, you look him up, you'll see him with the hat. That is. And it's like, there's the shot. That's right. That's it. That's exactly right. And, uh, yeah, there's some old shots of him with family, friends, and whatever, posing in the uh, in his backyard, you know, with uh, swords and stuff. He was trying to work out how a fight would work, you know, on paper. And so he would, well, the movie makes a big point of him reading his stuff out loud, you know, as he's writing it and putting the personality into the characters. And, boy, then they bring in the sound effects and the music that makes your imagination really take off. This movie really is a good one for imagination, which I think is uh, kind of the point. And where the conflicts come is that. Some people just lock their imaginations down and don't let it go. <laughs> and he, he wasn't going to lock it down. I'm in, I'm in his camp on that. I do not feel like locking down imagination in any way. Actions, yes, not imagination. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the director, Don Ireland, um, did an excellent job of portraying that <laughs> and setting it up, you know, where you could, because it's, yeah. it's always hard when you do have a writer, how do you get across what they're writing, you know, in a motion picture? And I thought that the way they did it yeah. with the, via mm-hmm. the music or him reading out loud and, and, and the way um, Vincent D'Onofrio played the character, you could just feel the creative flow. And it was interesting near the end of the movie when his mom interrupted him the one time, one of the few times he, I think he ever got interrupted in his creative flow because he had the phone call. And he, he's almost like, Oh, you, you can see the frustration because he was like, he was in the zone. He's in the zone yeah. typing away. Right. Um, and, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm laughing because I'm laughing because um, I have two daughters. And when I was trying to get, you know, when I was trying to write and whatever, I had to close my office door. And it got to the point where I put a sign on the door that said, if there's not blood on the floor, do not knock on this door <laughs> and i totally get it i completely get that it was it's you know absolutely you get these that's the other thing having kids and writing i always think of was it norman lear or somebody else there's a movie i don't know anyway that's an aside we can go into later um you have to think long in my opinion you have to think long thought and a 20 minute thought is a long thought to stay on one thing and boy with kids raising kids you're not going to get 20 minutes <laughs> of solid thinking there's always something going on so learning how to deal with that that was that's definitely a thing so when his mom was that the phone call to love uh, from lovecraft no that was the phone or he call. got a letter from it he got a letter from lovecraft that was the phone call from novel right. Um, and near the end, because before oh, yeah, the mother would right. never let the calls go through, and this was showing how the mother was now accepting right. her because he actually she actually interrupted yeah. right. um, Howard to let him know yeah. you got this call, and she approved. She's like, "Oh, she's going to come around." I mean, you, you can tell near near her end, she she grew to accept what the girl was doing for her son. Um, right, but yeah, and, and maybe she was judging herself a little bit too, saying. Well, maybe I shouldn't be so possessive of him or, or whatever, but yeah. or that he's going to need a woman in his life, and this woman is just as good as, or will 
fill the bill, you know, maybe. Yeah, because I mean, cause she was suffering for the ends of tuberculosis, so she knew she was coming to her demise, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, she was. She knew it was coming. And I thought uh, Ann Wedgworth, I think it's Wedgworth. Uh, it's Wedgworth. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and their southern accents. You know, Texas, Arkansas, southern accents is tough things to do. I thought they handled them pretty well. You know. And Wedgworth, I think, is a Southerner, or or somebody from the West, anyway. So they have a kind of a country. And um, D'Onofrio's, I bought it. I thought it was fine, you know. And I don't think Renee Zellweger really tried one. She just went straight ahead Zellweger on it. She might have said something like "fine" or "y'all," but uh, yeah, it wasn't distracting. The accents were not distracting at all, and that's a big thing with me. <laughs> I moved from Iowa to Arkansas when I was in eighth grade, no, eight years old. And man, it was like another country language wise. And I just rebelled. I just rebelled against the, the accent. <laughs> so, yeah, so accents are a big deal for me. <laughs> American accent. I feel I feel really sorry for you now because you have to hear my voice and knowing it's probably, probably going to drive you to tears later. <laughs> Oh, you just sound you sound fine. You sound completely fine. Not a problem. Oh, I'll send you it's money. Mainly in recorded things. Movie. I'll send you money later for mainly for movies. <laughs> okay, you got it. You got it. I always accept money, especially free money. That's the best kind. <laughs> oh, but yeah. there were some scenes in this movie that I really enjoyed, and I, one of I'm gonna, I'm going to go right to the end scene or one of the end scenes when she's taking the bus trip back from LSU after she hears the news about yeah. um, Robert, Robert Howard passing. And I don't know who the act, I don't know what the character's name was, but the older actress that came up to her at the bus stop and was talking with her and helping Just kind her of some her. random lady. Yeah. But the humanity yeah. she was showing seeing you've been crying this whole trip. And, and Noveline explaining to her what had happened and the way she comforted her. And then of course she points out to her as they're going back on the bus trip again, the long Greyhound bus trip. She's like, look, there's a beautiful sunrise. And that ties in with all those times that, that Robert E. Howard would say to her, I brought you this. Uh, I'm going to get you another full, beautiful moon tonight. I, I looked right there. There's a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. Yeah. He was using it all the time. And, yeah, see what I did for you, girl. Yeah, yeah. And to see Renee yeah. with that little she smile, realizing in her mind, he's giving her another sunrise. And it was just, it, it was, it was, yeah. it was so. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't help but cry when you get to that 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 through that scene. Right. I mean, it's just so emotional, so well played. It's excellent. Yeah. And there, that random lady, there she had no relationship to her at all. Just noticed she was suffering. And came over and uh, really comforted her. It's really, it was really, a, really well done. And there are those people in the world, you know, that, that happens. That's a real thing. And that's a good thing. And, and for yeah. listeners that haven't seen this movie, it is um, available for free, currently on a lot of different streaming services, free with ads. Amazon Prime, I think Tubi, there's a bunch. If you just type in the name of the movie and look where to watch, 
it is there. So it's, it's, this is not something that is hard to find at all. It's, it's readily available, at least as of recording. These things do change. So don't wait forever. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth it. I would seek it out, especially if you know anything about Robert E. Howard or you're curious about him or, or just writing in general. And it's, yeah, it's really good. It's really well done. What was, what was one I of your favorite got Texas scenes? Right. Oh, gosh. I watched the whole thing as, as a whole. Um, I like it when he's trying out different well, – when he's trying out stuff, like when he's, he's thinking about doing a boxing story. And so he's wandering through town, you know, practicing boxing moves. And there's the other time, I don't know what he was exploring, but he has on this sombrero with a lot of tassels around it and is walking around to see, you know, kind of how it feels and whatever, an embarrassing uh, novelin. Uh, I love those little scenes. I really like when the imagine when he starts talking about uh, the landscapes and the uh, you know the the worlds that he's building, and it's all on a rise in Texas, looking out over a river and a sunset, and and this and then Hans Zimmer's visceral music comes in just subtly. It's not a big slam bang thing. But you get this real animal drive, raw human life, cosmic feeling that just uh, blows me away. And they do it at least three or four times in the movie. Uh, and then they do it in funny ways, too. When the novel and price starts to date another guy, can't remember his name, and they go to the movies and it's Captain Blood, which is Errol Flynn's. Mm-hmm movie and it's all sword and sword and and fighting and and stuff like that and them being fascinated by that it's this almost the same sound effects that she heard when she was reading the uh, weird tales uh story of his yeah i believe i believe she went yeah so true was the guy's name i think yeah that's right true vincent true vincent yeah or yeah yes uh yes Anyway, um, when they do the imagination stuff, it's really done well. It's just amazing. I like all the interactions of humans and everything because they do it so well, too. But the imagination stuff is really stellar in this movie and well worth the experiencing. The sombrero, I think, comes ties back to when she had him wear the, the suit and the hat that was from the picture. And he talked about how he did not like the hat. And he said, I'd much rather have a sombrero because it gives you shade all around from the sun. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Yeah, because you remember oh, saying that. And yeah. then the, the, the payoff, of course, was like a half hour or 40 minutes later in the movie. When you see him come out with the sombrero, yeah. you're finally like, oh, so that, that piece of dialogue paid off at that spot. But it was just, yeah. It was, it was, I that was funny. tied it up. Yeah. Tied it up. I mean, because they didn't have yeah. to say they didn't have to come out with it, but here he came out with the sombrero. I'm like, oh, he like he got his hat. <laughs> I figured, yeah, and I figured he was also working out some kind of writing problem. Well, what really happened? You know, when you wear something like this, and you know, things that you have to do to make your writing uh, authentic. You know, stuff like that's why he was doing the boxing practice. You know, how does it actually work? I think that's part of why he also read his stuff out loud as he was creating it. Because it does it sound real or does it sound forest or stiff you know so yeah walking walking projects around is a is a good good technique i've heard many people do it well reading yeah. it out loud i do it 
<laughs> Reading the story out loud reminds me when I was in college, I had a, my English teacher, creative writing, and we had to turn in an assignment each week yeah. on any topic. And he had uh-huh. it set up where we had to meet with him each week with our assignment. And he would read it out loud. And the whole point of him reading out loud was he wouldn't make sure we use the pronunci- the pronunciation correctly because that's where the, the reader is supposed to pause to catch their breath. So his whole thing is when you're doing oh, it, you should read right. it out loud so you know if you have it with the right ebb and flow. And his big thing was ebb and sure. flow and words that people can understand. Yes, He said, yes, you can go for very verbose words that people have to look up which is fine on occasion, but if your whole thing is to communicate an idea, you want to stick with the more general usage of words or general words they're used so people can get the point. I agree. I agree with that, and I think Ernest Hemingway was all about that too. His stuff is clear and concise, and you have to use your imagination, but he's not using super big words. But, boy, he gets it across efficiently, and if you've got any imagination at all, those books really open it up. And, uh, yeah, he was writing in the 30s as well, right? So I think it might have been part of, you know, in that time. Um, yeah, yeah. And phrasing and ebb and flow, that's all music is that way too, you know. Uh, that's why having live experience in a band or an orchestra, you know how people breathe. You know how they, you know, uh, well, even sing. Uh, you know where the pauses are, like you were saying, where the pauses are, where the inflections are. So, yeah, very important to make it real because if it's all in your head, it's not real. It's just in there. You put it out in the world, then it's real and you have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I'm still that same way now. I mean, decades later where when I, if I'm writing something that no, – I'm not talking about a quick little message where I'm sending to somebody, but if I'm writing something that I know is going to be a more important or whatever, I'm always – I write the paragraph or two, then I'm reading it out, and I'm like, Oh, it's just not flowing right. It's just, it's, and, and sometimes yeah. you also realize you might have used the same word multiple times in a short period. Oh, I and, do then that all the time. and then you're like, <laughs> but you catch that when you read it out loud. And then you're just like, wait a minute, I've, yeah. I've just said also five times in a row or five times within a, a minute. Uh, let me, let me, you know, that's when you break out the, what are some other ways to say this without repeating certain things? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, making it real is what it's all about if you're going to be doing that, you know, so, yeah. But this this is an excellent movie. Now, you did say there was one part you had a problem with. What what was that part? <laughs> she gets mad. She gets mad at him. They're out on a date or in the car somewhere, and she gets out of the car and starts stomping around in this little field, and he's circling her in the car. And I just didn't think the music worked at all. They were trying to make it funny by putting kind of a ragtime thing in the background, and it just bugs the hell out of me. I don't think it fits at all. I don't know what I would have put in there, but uh, it just—it's not super jarring because the music isn't really loud. But I don't think it was a funny scene. I don't know. It just bugs. That's the only part. That's the weakest part of it for me. The rest of it's golden. <laughs> I know a scene you're yeah, talking about, all. and of course you've seen it multiple times. I only had, I've watched it once, and it was, yeah, because it, yeah, he's circling, and I thought it, the scene was set up because she left it and it was like walking, and I'm thinking, 
how far does she have to walk to get home? You know, cause she has that determined, I'm mad at you and I'm not yeah. going to get in step over the bridge down the, she sees him. She, she turns and finds that he's following her. She turns down the field. He backs up the car and goes around and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and you're right. The music yeah. is the music doesn't really fit because the music does play it up to be more no. comedy, and it doesn't fit that part. I think they could have did that scene maybe with the absence of music, and it yeah, might play just so as well. Too. And but now uh, talking about how far she had to walk, if she's a Texas girl, she's going to say, "Screw it, I'm walking." You know, she's she's going to do the walk, whether it's five miles or ten miles, because she's determined. And uh, yeah. I like strong women like that. That's that's, and that was the point of her. Is she was not going to give in if she had an opinion, you know, that she could defend. But yeah, I think leaving the music out would have been better. But then the scene might have been had to have been shorter, and I don't think it could be. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what to do there. I'm, maybe they. I don't know. I don't know why they put that in there. Yep. But listeners, like I said, that's a minor quibble. I mean, we're talking, we're talking. <laughs> minor, very minor, very minor. I mean, yes, absolutely. If, if, if yeah, that, that, part, that should not keep you away from something. Yeah. yeah, it should not keep you from listening. Shouldn't to the keep movie. you away from the movie at all. <laughs> right. It's a, it's well worth seeing. And picking up some old paperback of Robert E. Howard or reading them online or, you know, like a Kindle book or something. It's really worth it. I think, I can't remember the name of the publishing company. They just, a few years ago, they put out the best of Robert E. Howard and did, published everything, I think. Uh, there's the, the the horror stories of Robert E. Howard, then there's the uh, best volume one and the best volume two. Um, they're really worth taking a look at. Pretty good artwork in them, too. If you, if you, you know, a little, uh, what do you call it? Pencil sketches type things. The one thing I've got them around here somewhere. Now, um, Reber, for listeners that aren't familiar with Robert E. Howard's work, except for Conan, you know, excluding Conan, yeah. what would be a, a story or two off the off the top of your head that you think of that would be a good um, test, or a good way for a good gateway into Robert E. Howard? It could be a story, it could be a poem. What the, you know, if you want to name a couple and why you think that might be a good one for people to try out. Pigeons from Hell is a really good one. Pigeons from Hell. Um, why? Well, it's it's not Conan, I believe. It's, you know, different things. He did a whole bunch of characters. Conan seems to be the favorite. I haven't liked any of the Conan movies, by the way. I might disagree with some people on that, but uh, I just don't think they do him right. And uh, another one would be The Black Stone, which is uh, shorter, but it's, I really like it because it has that visceral undercurrent of something hidden that really is involved in the cosmos and life and, uh, you know, people's place in the whole opera of everything, I guess. So Pigeons from Hell and The Black Stone, I think those two would be a, a great start. And and listeners like... Uh, so far. And like Reber said, these are these are out there. They're readily available in many different books and stuff oh, yeah. like that that you can find. So you can go for, or if you don't want to purchase it, you can probably go to your local library, and I'm sure they got right. Robert E. Howard works there, and you can just easily. There's also the inter, 
interlibrary loans, you know, that usually don't cost anything. So, uh, but uh, most of these are short stories too. Very, he did very few novel length things. Uh, well, I hope I'm right about that. <laughs> uh, I can hear L Howard's dollars in the background going, no, ah! but uh, yeah, uh, People of the Black Circle, I think that's a Conan thing. Red Nails, and there's another one, but th those are kind of novel length and they are, uh, they're Conan stories. But I, boy, the Blackstone really grabbed me. About a guy that goes this small to this small town in Hungary or the Czech Czechoslovakia or something, and uh, investigates, um, you know, some rumors of rituals and things. Um, yeah, and you know, Lovecraft invented the Necronomicon. Well, Howard invented some books too. I think von Jens's Una Sprechlichen Kulten, which is like unnameable cults or something. He invented that book, and that's that shows up in uh, Blackstone. I think that's the one, or the Book of Ibon, or something like that. Anyway, they were they went back and forth, uh, making up all this stuff and trying to make it sound real, and it was just a lot of fun uh, watching these guys, you know, reading about these guys doing this, <laughs> making up fake history. You know, yeah, good stuff. And I think, listeners, you can tell both of us recommend seeing the whole wide world. It's it's out there. It's yes. It's easy to like we said right now, streaming on multiple platforms for free with ads, and the ads really weren't that intrusive when I was watching it, so it, it weren't that bad. You know, it, it it. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, would I rather have the DVD that Reber has? We don't have to worry about the ads. Yes. <laughs> ah, absolutely. <laughs> you can probably still find it out there. And it's an actual film transfer. Uh, I noticed on this DVD that uh, there were some little scratches and splices you could actually see. Uh, and it was, it's, I guess it was transferred back in 96 or something because you can see the film shaking in the gate a little bit, you know, of the projector. Um, but it's a, I think it's a Samuel Goldwyn classic or something. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's really, it's a good transfer though. It's a good transfer. All right, and and again, Reber, oh, yeah. people can yeah. get your CDs and or, or or digital downloads for your thirty-seven albums and counting, because it'll soon be thirty-eight. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I claim claim all of them, but if people want to buy them, it's what am I? Well, who am I to say no? <laughs> but the, the ones that are at the top are the ones that I really like, and then it goes down from there. <laughs> and again, that's Reber. So clark.bandcamp.com and it'll be in the show notes um, so if you don't remember it just go over you can look on the Facebook site you can look at the other thing just click the link it'll take you right to the site uh, if you if you get there's this, also a, a Reber Clark there's also a reberclark.com site then you can get there from there too so there's multiple I mean, if you type in Reber Clark there's not many Reber Clarks <laughs> <laughs> that are going to come up Quick on your search engine. I'm the, I'm the third, so you might find my dad's tombstone and my grandfather's, but other than that, um, it's just us, us three guys. <laughs> so, so there'll be a quick search. <laughs> yes, yes. And Actually, there are a few Clark Reber's out there, though, I have found out. Guys whose first name is Clark and last name is Reber. So that's, that's it's weird. 
<laughs> well, what can you say? I mean, every, there's got to be somebody that has to be backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's me most of my life. So <laughs> <laughs> try to get it, for, get it correct for once, you know. <laughs> but just before we end this, we talked yeah. about that listeners, you have a chance to win two autographed CDs, House of the Gorgon, Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls, a music done by Reber Clark. And you're probably wondering, Steve, how can I win the CDs? And listeners, it's very simple. You have to, on our Facebook or site or Twitter, share this episode and like it, you know, and share it. And that way I'll know you did it. And um, that'll enter you into the contest. And while well, due to drawling, let's see. February 7th, my daughter's birthday. So I'll just uh, give everybody to February 7th. And that's when I'll look through, write down the people that did it and then randomly put them in the, put them in a little piece of paper and draw it out and see who wins the two CDs. And I'll mail it out. I'll contact you and get your information. And then I'll mail you out the Reber Clark CD set that we have. And the uh, Cowgirls production is two CDs. It's a two CD set. <laughs> so you're so you're getting three CDs, but I mean, you know, the, sa- the soundtrack to two different movies, and right, it's really good work. House of the Gorgon, you were doing your best Herman type work, and and uh, and James Bernard was another guy I was going for, and James Bernard, and who Cal- did all the Dracula Dracula movies, yeah. And then for Cowgirls versus Pterodactyl, Pterodactyls, who was your influence on that one? Oh, a lot of guys. Uh, the movie that influenced me music-wise was The Big Country. And I'm trying to remember who did that. Was it Dmitry Kiamkin or Elmer Bernstein, one of those guys? But I tried to do a little bit of like, like that, kind of big, expansive, Western sounds. Uh, and then some Ennio Morricone, you know, when there were – when we had outlaws and people getting ready to do a, a showdown or something, uh, I would go with the Ennio Morricone, uh, High Plains Drifter, or uh, you know those Clint Eastwood movies, the spaghetti western sound. So that was fun to do. I thought the music turned out pretty good for that one. The big country <laughs> was Jerome Morris. Morris. Yeah, Morris. Yes. M O R O S S. Yep. Yes. And his wife, no, no, I'm wrong. Never mind. I was thinking of the guy who did Mad Mad World, because I'm talking to you. <laughs> his wife. His wife was the one who did the singing for Julian, I mean, for uh, Audrey Hepburn in a whole bunch of different movies. So, anyway, yeah, Moros. Oh, Moros also did Valley of Wanji. Oh, one of the great Ray Harryhausen films. Yes, and I think Josh took a lot of uh, ideas from Guanji and uh, put it in Cowgirls versus Pterodactyl. But uh, this doesn't have anything to do with that score, but it's the same guy who did Big Country, which is a great movie. Gregory Peck, a lot of funny lines. I really like like, like Big Country. Oh, it's, it's an excellent I realized something about the uh, Yeah, go ahead. It's an excellent movie, and um, I was going to remind listeners, if you enjoy hearing Reber talk about some of this stuff, 
you and I had a nice and detailed interview. I think it was episode 15, but if you go back, look Reber Clark, you'll see it. And that one, we also talk about films, some samples of film scores and you go over how they were developed. And it's nice to hear a composer, even though you weren't a composer network, but somebody that really understands the art form to break it down for, for us, the lay person. I thought that would, that episode worked really well that way. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, anything I can do, I was trained as a teacher, so <laughs> maybe I got to use some of my skills. Who knows? <laughs> and Reber was one of the guest hosts on it's a mad, 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 mad world episode that w- that was, it's, it's a long episode. If listeners haven't listened to it yet, I think it's, it's like over three and a half hours long, but we had, Multiple people contribute. Reber did also, and it's something I think if you if you enjoy that movie, you should seek it out. And Reber, that's still our number two most downloaded episode. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really good. Um, I know I didn't concentrate. I concentrated a little on the music, but it was more about the composer and how versatile he was. Because in that movie, he did all kinds of styles and genres and everything, and he did them all great. Uh, can't remember the guy's name <laughs> but anyway yeah i i can't remember what i had for lunch either so you know who knows well i wasn't expecting you to remember his name i was just i was just giving listeners an idea you've been on past episodes <laughs> and where to go and joshua kenny was the, one of the main the main guest host of my daughter and son and i on that episode so it was um it was as we went through and intertwined all the um guest smaller segments, which yours is one of what sides, I think there was like 10 other people. It was, it was a plethora of people to fill in that to join yeah. in because it's a mad, mad, it a mad, mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah cause... It was a mad, mad bunch of people Mad mad, bad, bad bunch of people. <laughs> well, it fit the movie. I thought it was, I thought if you're going to do that movie, yeah. you had to go, go big or go home. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And it worked. It worked really well. Yeah, and Josh is a blast to work with. So you know, it's uh, he's he's really great. Awesome. Well, let, yep. well, well, Reber, thank you for picking this movie and joining me. And uh, hopefully, we'll do another one, which will decide by the roll of a die, and you get to pick another movie that yes, way. Yes, I'd love to. That's awesome. Absolutely, I I love this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and thank you again for letting us, you know, utilize your music for the James Whale retrospective series that's been you know very helpful, sure. you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, what can you say? I just enjoy it. But listeners join us next episode. We're either be another movie decided by the roll of a die, the continuation of the James Whale retrospective or an interview with somebody from the movies as we've been going through. So otherwise everybody stay safe, have fun and good luck entering the contest. And I hope you guys win. The Reber Clark, the only one of you will, but hopefully the, you're the listener I'm talking to that wins. <laughs> Novelin, this is Bob Howard. Bob's the greatest pulp writer in the whole world. I'm the boss. Top writer's the employee. No argument. <laughs> I don't forget faces. All women's figures. <laughs> His eyes were like burning coal. Why is sex deviance? Hey, hell, you be careful, man. That thing is low. Oh, oh, oh.
say the hell with what they think. And I said to myself, Robert Howard, there's a girl who's going to appreciate your moonlight. Not to listen to the greatest pulp writer in the whole wide world. Probably Howard. 